If you please stand for the reading of Scripture. Today we'll be reading out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 24. Today, Pastor Chris will be teaching out of this passage, talking about the standing orders of the gospel. Um, if you need a Bible, there should be a pew Bible in front of you. You can open that up to page 1174. Uh, once again, follow along with me as I read 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 24. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today and thank you for another year, another chance to serve you and... uh, follow you steadfastly, God. I pray that you would help us and guide us in this next year. I also pray for Pastor Chris as he leads and speaks to us today that you would uh, have the Spirit work in us today. Thank you for your Son and his sacrifice for us. In your name, amen. Well, we've worshipped in music, we've worshipped in the reading of God's word, we've worshipped in prayer, now let us worship in the preaching of the gospel. Well, I have a New Year's prayer for you. See if you can identify with this. New Year's Day. Dear Lord, so far this year, I've done well. I haven't gossiped, I haven't lost my temper, I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm very thankful for that. But in a few minutes, Lord, I'm going to get out of bed. And then I'm probably going to need a lot more help. Amen. Can you amen to that? Do you need some help this morning to be the person that you want to be in this coming year? More importantly, the person that God wants you to be? If you're like me, I need all the help that I can get. But how do we get that help? when we don't really know what's going to happen in this year. I mean, for goodness sakes, uh, we'd even make it to the second day of the new year before it seemed like all hell was going to break loose in 2020. And if you read with us during Advent, the book of Isaiah, then you know, and you have a fresh reminder that the Holy One of Israel is large and in charge over the geopolitical gamesmanship that takes place even right now as we speak. But you also know the Lord uses the nations of this world to discipline his own elect people. The church of Jesus Christ in any country, including ours, 
has no guarantee that we will not endure severe suffering in 2020. We just have no way of knowing what may happen in this new year. I've lived long enough to know that a single phone call can radically, instantaneously turn your life upside down. In a single instant, a loved one could die. We could be crippled forever in an accident. We could be diagnosed with cancer. We could go to meet the Lord on New Year's Eve like Jean Bell. We simply don't know what's coming regarding our jobs, our family, our health, our hope for the future, or even our faith in the Lord. But there's, and you're probably thinking, wow, good, you know, I'm so cheered up right now. But it could happen, okay? But there is good news for the new year. And the good news is this. No matter what, no matter what happens this year, God has revealed his perfect will for our lives in the Bible. Amen? He has revealed his perfect will for us in the Bible. Look again at those three verses, 1 Thessalonians 5. Look in your Bibles, 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, let me give you a little background of this book, 1 Thessalonians. We're starting at the end of it. This is one of the Apostle Paul's earliest letters he ever wrote. It's a letter to a church he planted in Thessalonica, Greece. You can read about it in Acts 17. And it was on his second missionary journey. And the Thessalonian believers were brand new Christians who were seeking to follow Christ in a hostile environment with intense persecution from those who rejected Jesus as Lord and Savior. Just like us, the Thessalonians did not know what the future would bring. They knew the Lord would come and capture and rapture them up, but they didn't know how that would happen, when that would happen, exactly how it would happen. They, they, they weren't sure how to live in this hostile environment until that happened. And so God's Holy Spirit led Paul to write them this letter to encourage them to live for the Lord no matter what. And that's especially true in verses 12 through 24. <coughs> Excuse me. Some Bible students consider this whole section to be basic teaching for new believers. Others think that this was intended to be memorized. Now, what a great thing to consider doing at the beginning of this new year, memorizing a section of Scripture like this. Others believe that this was taught and and applied in the context of the worship, the gathered people, just like we are. And so the point of all that is to say this. What a great passage for us to be looking at on the first Sunday of the new year. A passage that was meant for new believers of all ages. A passage that was intended to be memorized. A passage that was meant to be applied as a congregation, but also as individuals. Now, the focus in these three verses is our relationship with God no matter what. Writing over a hundred years ago, Professor James Denny of Scotland called these three commands 
the standing orders of the gospel. And here's what he said. The three precepts of these three verses may be called the standing orders of the Christian church. However various the circumstances in which Christians may find themselves, the duties here prescribed are always binding upon them. We are to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and in everything to give thanks. We may live in peaceful or in troubled times. We may be encompassed with friends or beset by foes. We may see the path we have chosen for ourselves open easily before us or find our inclination thwarted at every step. But we must always have the music of the gospel in our hearts in its own proper key. The music of the gospel in our hearts These are the standing orders of the gospel. And these three commands in verses 16, 17, and 18 are commands that are true no matter what. They're all in the present tense. You could literally translate these, continually rejoice, continually pray, continually give thanks, or even better, repeatedly keep on doing it. Do it, and then do it again, and then do it again. And yet, that's the challenge, isn't it? After all, we would have no problem if Paul had written, Rejoice sometimes. Pray occasionally. Oh, I got that down. Give thanks when you feel like it. You see, we could relate to that, but God specifically said, Put these modifiers before the verbs. Always. Without ceasing. In all circumstances. God made sure they came before, at all times, rejoice. In all places, pray. In every situation, give thanks. And this double is a double emphasis because these are in the present tense. So the idea is keep, start doing this and then keep on doing it and keep on doing it. Now, why is God driving this idea into the hearts of the Thessalonians and into our hearts this morning of constant joy, constant prayer, and constant thanksgiving. It's because the real impact of the gospel is seen when we don't feel joyful, when we don't feel like praying, when we don't see a reason for giving thanks. You see, that's when we discover if our Christianity is real Or is it a superficial counterfeit? You see, anyone can occasionally be joyful. Anyone can occasionally throw up a prayer in time of crisis. Anyone can be thankful when the road is smooth. But it's at all times, in all circumstances, that's where the grace of the gospel manifests itself, not only in our lives, but to the people around us, to the people that we work with, to our unsaved family members, to people that are struggling for an answer and for hope. They want to see in our lives the difference that the gospel makes in the hardest of times. When Christ enters our lives, he changes us from the inside out, and we both have the power and the desire to rejoice, to pray, to give thanks, even in the worst moments of our lives. So I ask you this morning, do you have that kind of power in your life this morning? 
Do you have that kind of desire? I'm not asking if you do it perfectly. I'm not asking if you do it faultlessly. I'm asking, do you have that desire and that power within you? Does it bubble up within you? Do you have the kind of power and desire that Jesus Christ will give you when he gives you himself in the gospel? You see, the real impact of the gospel will be seen when we don't feel joyful, when we don't feel like praying, when we don't see any reason to be thankful. So let's look at each of these short commands, and let's understand by the grace of God that these are standing orders. They're always in play, no matter what. And so, regardless of what happens in 2020, let's look at these commands. First of all, Always rejoice. Always rejoice. Always be joyful. I like how the King James says it. Rejoice evermore. I mean, that's just majestic. Rejoice evermore. Or the message paraphrases, be cheerful no matter what. Now, this is the shortest verse in all the Bible. I know we often think that Jesus wept is the shortest verse, but in Greek... Jesus wept is three words. This is the shortest verse. Always rejoice. And the question becomes, how can something so short be so hard to do? Well, we need to look at what it doesn't mean and what it does mean. So let's take a look at it. What does always rejoice mean? Well, it means not faking it on the outside, but living it on the inside. So when you see rejoice always, don't we're, we're not that kind of sappy, syrupy uh, Christian and, and uh, pseudo-religion where when times are hard, we just say, praise the Lord anyway, and put on a fake smile and just smile through the difficulties. That's not, we don't fake it on the outside, we live it on the inside no matter what. According to the Apostle Paul, continual joy is one of the marks of a true believer. In Philippians 4.4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And this joy comes from the Holy Spirit that dwells inside the believer. In Romans 14.17, Paul says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Could the reason why the unsaved world doesn't have much interest or time for our Christianity is because we lack this kind of joy? That we're really no different from them. We're high on the highs, we're low in the lows, and there's just really no difference in that. Have we lost the joy of the gospel and have we gotten so out of step with the Holy Spirit that we show so little joy in the way we live our lives that they look and say, I don't need that. I have no desire for that. Why would anyone want to listen to what we have to say? It's kind of like that old Wendy's commercial where uh, the little old lady said, where's the beef? Well, I think the world sometimes is looking at us and saying, where's the joy? Where's the difference in your life? Is there joy in my day-to-day life? Is there joy in my relationship with my spouse? Is there joy in my parenting? Is there joy in serving the Lord and His church? Is there joy in the midst of my sorrows and my suffering? 
As one pastor said, I've seen enough joyless Christians that I often prefer the company of friendly unbelievers. But you might be thinking right now, okay, it sounds good, but man, it sounds impossible. And I would agree with you. It is utterly impossible for us apart from Christ. In him, it is possible. In and within ourselves, it is impossible. That's why in this verse it says, this is the will of God, not in you, but in Christ Jesus. You see, it was possible for the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 1.6, Paul says, you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. It was possible for the Colossians, Paul wrote to them in Colossians 1.11, May you be strengthened with all power according to the power of his might for all endurance and patience with joy. It was possible for the Philippians, Paul wrote to them twice, telling them, Rejoice in the Lord always. And Paul not only preached this, but he practiced it. He told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 6.10, he said this about his sufferings. I was sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. I was grieved. I was broken. I was down. I was depressed, and yet always rejoicing. And so the question is, why BH? Yes, but how? How do we rejoice always? Well, Jesus said this in John 15.11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. See, this isn't something that we work up. This isn't something that we just try harder to be happier. This isn't positive thinking for positive living. This is my joy in you. It's Jesus' joy. And Jesus' joy works from the inside out. It doesn't depend on whether or not I have a job, whether I have a paycheck, how my friends have treated me, much less does it depend on my health or the state of my marriage or how my children are doing. Even less does it depend on who is in the White House in this election year or how my favorite team is doing. It could go bad, you know. It doesn't depend on the stock market or our 401ks. It depends on Jesus, my joy in you. And this Jesus joy is also spirit fruit. And we know that in Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the spirit, that which the spirit brings forth in our heart, is love, joy, peace. And that's why I have these verses there in your notes. This is why Paul kept saying things like joy in the Holy Spirit. With the joy of or from the Holy Spirit. Joy that's due to my resurrection power. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice in the Lord. This is not from us. It is from him. And that's why gospel joy is spelled J-O-Y, Jesus, others, you. Because that's where joy comes from. When Jesus is first in your life, 
on this first Sunday, you've made a great step in that direction by putting his worship, his people, his word, his praise first on the first Sunday of this new year. But when Jesus is first, and then out of a love from him and for him, you serve others and love others, and you let God take care of you last, that's where the joy comes. That's not just a fun acronym. That is biblical theology. Consider what this means for your time alone with the Lord in 2020. If you're not abiding in His Word, if you're not relying on His Holy Spirit, if you're not getting alone with the Lord on a regular basis in 2020, your joy cup will be half full. In fact, it will be continually draining. That's why we have at the back a five-day reading plan. That's why on our social media all aspects, we have inundated you with opportunities to have reading plans, praying apps, uh, memorization apps, you name it, because that's where your joy is going to come from. Consider what this means when we gather for worship. You see, if we come with our problems first and foremost, and let's admit it, we often do, then we're going to judge the worship by how it lifted us up, how it made us feel, how it ministered to me. But as long as you focus on yourself, there will be no joy in any worship service. And if there is, it's external, fleeting, and dependent on lights and music and smoke and mirrors. But when you come like Professor Denny, who I've already quoted, here's what he says about worship. Let God be great in the assembly of his people. We sang and made God great. Didn't make him great. We recognized his greatness in our singing. Let God be great in the assembly of his people. Let him be lifted up as he is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And joy will fill our hearts. If the service of the church are dull, it's because he has been left outside. And consider what this means for your suffering. When life seems to be closing in, the world seems to be burning on fire. If we only had eyes to see the little things, one thing I know, that in my lowest times, in my most difficult times, it was the little beam. It was the, maybe a ray of beam coming through the living room, shining down, and God saying in that, I am with you. It may be a meal that was brought unexpectedly. It may be a song on the radio. And in a moment, in that little thing, God is saying, I am with you in your suffering and you can rejoice always, no matter what. So what's God's will for us, for every true believer in this new year? It's what Nehemiah said in Nehemiah 8. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't let anything in 2020, no election, no debate, no discouragement rob you of your joy in the Lord. But if you're going to rejoice always, you'll never rejoice always unless you pray without ceasing. And that's the second command. Constantly pray. Constantly pray. Always rejoice and constantly pray. Pray all the time. Never stop praying. Pray continually. 
John MacArthur wisely states, Joyful believers will also be prayerful believers. Those who live their Christian lives in joyful dependency on God will continually recognize their own insufficiency and therefore constantly be in an attitude of prayer. Look there in your Bibles, pray without ceasing. The word for prayer there is the most general word for prayer in the, in the New Testament. It includes all aspects of prayer, submission, confession, Petition, intercession, praise, thanksgiving, lament. You see, often the reason we can't pray without ceasing is we have a very narrow, tiny toolbox of prayer. It's pray over our meals. It's pray over my test. It's pray over my raise. It's praise, pray in my crisis. But we don't have this idea of confession, lament. Joy, thanksgiving. We, we, we don't understand the broad range of praying. And once again, we may recoil from this command and think, Chris, this is impossible. If I prayed all the time, when would I get anything done? I can see some moms saying, well, yeah, right. Yeah, who's going to clean the house, right? Dads, who's going to put food on the table, right? Kids, you know, how am I going to get my gaming in if I'm praying all the time? I get that. I understand. But listen. The Gospels, these are the standing orders of the Gospel. They're true all the time for everyone, anywhere. And the Bible is full of commands to pray always. In fact, when you start tracing this through Scripture, it's kind of scary how often this idea of praying always is, right? So, right here in 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 1, verse 2, Paul has said, We give thanks to God always, for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, gets to the second chapter. We also thank God constantly for this. And then in Ephesians 6, 18, he kind of blows all the, pulls out all the stops. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Romans 1, 9. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant, diligent, devoted in prayer. And then Jesus himself, our Lord, said in Luke 18, 1, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. See, there's no escaping it. Constant praying is our standing orders. But, Y-B-H. Yes, but how? How do we do this? Well, again, we need to look at what it doesn't mean, especially when it comes to prayer, and what it does mean. So let's take a look at it. What it does not mean and how not to do it. First of all, it does not mean nonstop praying. So we can all say, okay, I think I can do that. It does not mean nonstop praying. We'd never get anything else done. We'd have to become monks and become useless to God and others in this real world. We'd have to just go off in some place where no one would disturb us and we just, um, you know, just pray all the time. Listen, if Jesus spent all his time in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, he never would have gotten up, went to the cross, 
and died for our sins. So the second thing it does not mean, it does not mean always praying in a certain posture or place. Again, we get locked into a narrow view of prayer. And so, you know, if food's not in front of us and we're not about to eat, we don't know how to pray. Okay? Or if we're not in church, we don't know how to pray. If someone's not praying for us, we don't know how to pray. It's as though we think we have to be kneeling or in a padded pew or always have our eyes closed or we have to be in a certain quiet place. We've heard about that mystical prayer closet and I have to be alone. I have to be in my closet and uh, praying. Um, But how are you going to pray without ceasing? I mean, you need to be praying when you're driving, right? Now, the last thing you want to do is close your eyes and pray when you're driving. Are you with me? You won't be praying long. In fact, you'll see Jesus face to face, you know, if you do that. That's, that's not the goal. That's not the goal. So what does it mean? Well, it means, it, it doesn't mean uninterrupted praying. It means constant reoccurring praying. A continual reoccurring prayer wherever we are and whatever's going on. Because think about Jesus. It's true that he stopped praying in the garden to go to the cross, but it's also true that on the cross, he didn't stop praying. Three times on the cross, Jesus prayed. And by the way, those weren't good times. Those weren't easy times. Those were hard, excruciating And beyond any suffering you or I may ever encounter in 2020 or any other year, for he bore the weight of the sins of the world, and yet he could pray, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. See, that was constant praying. It was repeated and and going to the moment and to the need. Continual prayer. It's not prayer that goes on without interruption. It's prayer that continues whenever needed and possible. In fact, the Greek word for continual or without ceasing, that Greek word, is also used for a hacking cough. Now, I know some sickness has been going around. So that's what you do, fist pump, right? And use the stuff back there. Wash your hands. Sickness going around. Hacking cough. In fact, I tried to imitate a hacking cough, and then I got a hacking cough, so I don't even want to imitate. But what happens? When you have a hacking cough, you don't cough all the time. You cough repeatedly. You do it, and then you do it again, and then you get a little respite, and then you do it again. That's the idea of praying. praying. That's how we should pray this year, no matter what. We should keep coming back to prayer, no matter what. We should keep praying repeatedly, no matter what happens, and no matter where we are. We keep turning to God in prayer. So what does this mean? How do you do this? How do you, let me give you two principles on how to do it. And I think the key is even in 1 Thessalonians 3.10. Because in 1 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul says this, We pray most earnestly night and day. How many of you have ever saw that? We pray night and day. And if, if you're a common sense person, what's it, what are you going to ask? When did the guy sleep? So it can't mean continual. It means repeatedly. You ever woken up in the middle of the night and you're like, why am I up? Pray. You're up to pray. 
And then you go sleep, and then you wake up again. Pray. Pray. You just keep doing it. So here's two principles. First is this. An active prayer life, no matter what. An active prayer life, no matter what. Not just in times of crisis, but times of blessing. Not just when we want something from God, but also when God doesn't give us what we want. Pray to Him. Not just times of thankfulness, but times of frustration, times of fear and failure. Not just at meals, but throughout the day. You see, it's a both and, not an either or. Listen, beware the person, uh, you know, you ask somebody, do you pray? And the standard answer is, oh, I pray, you know, because we all know to say no would be the bad answer, right? So we don't say that. But we say, oh, I pray all the time. I'm always suspicious of anyone who prays all the time. You say, but Chris, I thought that's what you want. You know, God, listen, if we're praying all the time and there's never a set time, I don't think we're praying all the time. And the other danger is someone who says, oh, yeah, I always pray at 8 o'clock in the morning every day. Then the problem is, are you praying any other times during the day? So this is not this idea of constant praying doesn't mean you don't get alone with God, you don't get in that quiet time, you don't have a set time. We need that time. Here you go. Here's a plan. It's right back there, and there's tons of them. We don't lack tools. We lack the, the desire. Okay? But... At the same time, as we're praying constantly, we need that set time. But as that set time, it should flow over into our daily lives. So you begin with an active prayer life. But an active prayer life is an attitude change. And here's the second principle. An attitude of prayer no matter where you are. An active prayer life no matter what. And an attitude of prayer no matter where you are. You see, our default condition should be, oh God. Not like, oh God, like, like taking the Lord's name in vain, but, oh God. What do you think about this? Oh, Father, what is your purpose in this? Oh, Father, what do I need to learn? How are you trying to stretch my faith? How are you trying to grow me? What are you doing in my loved one's life? Help me to have wisdom. It's praying even when you don't know how to pray. Romans 8. It's a prayer that says, Oh, Lord, I don't know what to pray, but I'm here. I'm listening. I'm at your throne. You see, we should want to have an attitude of constantly wanting to hear from him and talk to him. You ever seen these people walk around with these phones in their ear? You know, they walk around with phones in their ears. Why do they do that? Because for whatever reason, they want to stay connected to someone all the time. They want to hear. And they want to be able to talk. Continual prayer, no matter what. Maintain an attitude where you can pray all the time, everywhere, about everything. Consciously, deliberately, repeatedly, persistently at all times, in all places, about all things. Now, does this, sound, does this still sound impossible? Well, let's use the ultimate illustration. Let me ask you, do you carry a phone with you everywhere you go? How many people have a phone with them right now? 
How many are looking at that instead of listening to God's Word? Put your hand down. How many of you have a phone right now? How many of you take that with you everywhere you go? Yeah, right there. Now, why do you, let me ask you, why? Because you want to stay in contact with others. You want to get those notifications. You want to see the latest updates. You want to know what your friends are doing. But let me ask you, do you constantly check your social media? Are you constantly looking at it? Are you constantly poking? That is the illustration of what we should be doing. We need to lay aside. I'm not saying burn it. I'm not saying destroy it. I'm not saying being legalistic about it. I'm just saying your prayer life ought to be as active and involved as your smartphone usage. Think of it like this. Listen, God's command to pray continually is not impossible, it's practical. As practical as checking your cell phone every 10 minutes or checking into Facebook or Instagram or social media, sending a tweet about anything and everything that's going on in your life. Instead, you send it up to him. It's practical. And the command to pray continually no matter what is not a burden. It is a blessing. Think of it like this. Your heavenly father loves you so much that he bought you a divine smartphone with the blood of his only son. And he paid for unlimited talk, unlimited text, and an unlimited data plan to go with it, the Word of God. Now, how do you react to that? You rejoice and you use it. You know, I still remember when Amber asked for an iPod. I mean, these, these are the early ones. It's somewhere. I don't know where it's at. You know, it was orange, neon orange. Man, she wanted that iPod. It, they were cool. They, they were cool back then. And she wanted that. And I think it was Christmas, Amber. I don't know. Was it Christmas? And she got that, and she ripped that thing open, and she squealed with delight and hug on on my neck, on mom's neck, and just was so thrilled. And then she used it. Well, that's what prayer is. It's it's this divine opportunity for communication that has been blood-bought and freely given. And we should squeal with delight and use it. Amen? No matter what. Now, what do you... If if, if you got... I don't know what you got for Christmas. But if you got what you really wanted for Christmas, what wells up into you? A sense of gratitude. And so that's the third command. The third command is this. In all things, give thanks, no matter what. Be thankful in all circumstances. Or as the message says, thank God no matter what happens. Now, the two previous commands, rejoice always, was time-factored. Pray constantly was a place-factor, no matter where you are. This one is based on circumstances. Regardless of the circumstances, give thanks in everything. Now, like the previous command, we need to see what it doesn't mean and what it does mean. So let's take a look at that. Here's what it doesn't mean. Not give thanks for all things, but give thanks in all things. Though that, those little words make all the difference. Because, see, we'll recoil. If we think I have to thank God for sickness that robs me of my health, if I think I have to thank God for sin that has separated me from God or ruined relationships in, in, in your family. If you have to thank God for suffering that can be so intense 
We long to die to escape it. If we think that we have to give thanks for the selfishness that rapes another of their innocence or slaughters little ones in their schools, if we think we have to give thanks to that, then we're never going to do that. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say give thanks for those things. It says give thanks in those things. You see, God wants you to express your God-given emotions in suffering, sickness, and even in facing sin. It's okay to be sad, frustrated, angry. He wants us to lament these things, but to do so without sin and without bitterness. And how do we do that? By giving thanks in everything. In all things, give thanks in the midst of pain, in the midst of loss, in the midst of anger. Now, some say constantly praying is the hardest of these commands, but I would say to you, for me anyway, I'm just speaking for myself, this third command is the hardest one. To give thanks in the midst of anything and everything. You say, but how do we do this? Well, I don't have two slick steps for you to follow. Because we're talking about deep and hard and difficult and mysterious things. But here what I have are two rock-solid truths that you can remember and rest in no matter what may happen in 2020. And for some of you, you're like, 2020, I'm, talk- I'm still trying to recover from 2019. I'm still barely making it into 2020. Well, here's two things. Number one, remember who holds you and the future in his hand for your good and his glory. Remember who holds you. No matter what happens in 2020, remember these verses, Romans 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he has already Glorified. (coughs) Excuse me. I know it seems trite, but it's true. We may not know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. Amen? Now, these verses may not be the first ones you want to hear in your suffering. And they may not be the first ones we want to share with someone that is suffering. But I tell you this. These are the words that they must hear and we must share and we must remember if we're going to give thanks in all things. No matter what happens, remember the rest of Romans 8. Listen to the rest of it. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God indeed is interceding for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation in 2020, distress in 2020, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all day long, and we are regarded as sheep for the slaughter. We can be going to our slaughter. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hey, no matter what happens in 2020, who is for you? God. Who did not spare his own son for you? Will he not also give you all things that you need? Who is our judge? God has already declared us just and righteous. Who is going to condemn us as sinners? Jesus died so sinners could be forgiven and given new life. Who or what can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? No one. No thing. Amen? In everything, give thanks. Now here's the second rock solid truth, and it's this. Rest, rest in the glorious, gracious reality that God's majestic, mysterious, merciful ways are greater than ours. Look at that. Rest in the glorious, gracious reality, gospel reality, that God's majestic, mysterious, and merciful ways are greater than ours. Listen, God says to us in Isaiah 55, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Lord, this stinks. I don't see hope in this. But your ways are higher. I give thanks. I give thanks. And we say to God, Romans 11, 33 through 36, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are your judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has given him counsel or advice? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? God doesn't owe us. And we can't inform him of anything he doesn't know. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Listen. No matter what happens in 2020, rest in these three glorious, gracious gospel truths. The reality of God's majesty. He is in control and nothing and no one is outside of his charge. In all things, give thanks. The reality of God's mystery. We will never be able to understand and explain God in his ways. Stop asking why and start running to who. Can I say that again? Stop asking why. Start running to who. I'm using this devotional. And by the way, this is an extra one. Come to me and I've got a great deal for you. You can take this home. Page 4, January 4th. Here's what Paul Tripp said. The best theology won't remove mystery from your life. So rest is found in trusting the one who rules is all and knows all. 
And then he goes on and he says this, God is with you in your moments of darkness because he will never leave you. But your darkness isn't dark to him. Your mysteries aren't mysteries to him. Your surprises don't surprise him. He understands all the things that are confusing you the most. Not only are your mysteries not mysteries to him, but he is in complete charge of all that is mysterious to you and to me. In all things, give thanks. And then recognize the reality of God's mercy. Whatever he allows to enter our lives is for our good and his glory. If we're called by him to salvation, if we've responded to him by faith in what he has done in Christ, then we can be sure that all will be worked for our good and his glory in all things. Give thanks. You say, what does this sound like to give thanks in all things? Well, listen to Job, who lost it all. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, I'll conclude with this. Look again at verse 18. Look at the last phrase. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Listen, no matter what happens in 2020, Always rejoice, constantly pray, and in all things give thanks to a merciful, majestic, mysterious God who understands what we don't understand, who gives light in our deepest darkness, and who is there with mercy and grace to see us through. So I ask you this, are you already in Christ Jesus Are you here this morning and you've crossed from darkness to light? You've crossed from unbelief to belief and you know that Jesus is your Savior? Then these are your standing orders. And there's really not much more to say except to go do it. But maybe you're not yet in Christ Jesus. Maybe you're not yet sure of where you stand with God. I've been where you're at. I've been there not knowing for sure if where I would go when I died. Not knowing for sure if I had a relationship with God. Not sure what all this talk about Jesus and forgiveness really meant. But I assure you that this morning you can know that. We can explain that to you. We will meet with you. We will take you step by step and show you not what we think, but what God says in his word. You can be in Christ Jesus by faith. And here's the good news. If all this is overwhelming to you, the good news is when Jesus comes into your life, he brings you the ability to rejoice. He brings you the ability to pray. He teaches you how to pray. And he gives you the ability to be thankful. Let's bow our heads if we would and... I just want you to think about what we, we heard and what God is saying to us. And I want you to think, am I in Christ Jesus? And if I am, is this what characterizes my life? Joy, prayer, and thankfulness. 
The musicians are going to play, and we're just going to have a few moments of response. It's the first Sunday of the new year. And I want you to respond to what you've heard. Not what you've heard from me, but what you heard from God's word. What the Spirit is saying to you through his word. This Sunday, of all Sundays, is a great Sunday to renew our commitment or start a new relationship by simply saying, Lord, all I bring to my salvation is my sins, and all I need is your Son. And so I turn from my sins to trust your Son, and I want to know you in a way that's joyful, prayerful, and thankful. Let's respond as the musicians pray. Let's do business with God. Jesus, without your help, we will never live this way. Forgive us for complaining when we should be rejoicing. Teach us to pray continuously. You have given us so much. Give us one more thing, a grateful heart in your Son, Jesus Christ. I'd like to read over us this benediction at the end of this chapter. Hear this and receive it. For this coming year. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, we're going to take our offering and then we're going to stand and sing together to this great God.